they had to know the height of the moons because, you know, pictures do two dimensionals. If you're going to land the lunar lander, you don't want to land on top of a mountain. So they had to invent what's called this VPA analyzer. You take a picture of the Shroud of Turin and put it under this VPA analyzer. It's a 3D image. Yes, it could be a forgery, but it would take super intelligent being that can travel through time. It's just better just say it's probably God. They put coins over the eyes, eyelids. Well, those clever space aliens found some Roman leptons minted in 29 AD by Pontius Pilate. Those images are deep to the <laughs> to the image on the Shroud of Turin because the Shroud is falling through Jesus from the mechanical nuclear degeneration. And that's why it's recording 3D digital information. Again, we don't have that technology today. You know, I had an emergency doctor in a while back talking about COVID, but he's a really interesting fellow. He's very Catholic, but then he got to talking about the Shroud of Turin and the miracle of Lanciano, where the Holy Communion becomes flesh and blood. But those things are thought by many to be just fairy tales or just made up or forgeries or whatever. Well, not to this trained doctor's eye. We're going to hear about that. This is John Henry Reston Show. Stay tuned. Dr. Scott French, thank you so much for being back with us. Thanks, John Henry. Appreciate it. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So tell us, this is so interesting, coming from a doctor's perspective, um, how do you get to interest in the Shroud of Turin and into a miracle of the Holy Communion turning into the body and blood of our Lord or, or in, into what looks like flesh. Um, that's a super old miracle, but I'll let you explain it. Please go ahead. I went to see the Shroud of Turin in 2015 and got a lot of material both from the Catholic pilgrimage group as well as from the Vatican saying, well, it could be a medieval forgery and, and it could be uh, something else. And when you're there, you know, 10 feet away from it, and you see the perfect image, which again, I didn't realize at that point was on the upper six microns, the width of a human hair, and everything is described in the Bible. Uh, I thought, oh, there's more to this than, <laughs> than meets the eye. And then three days later, or two days later, we were in Lanciano, Italy, where 750 AD, uh, the priest who had difficulty believing in the real presence right in front of the congregation. The cup of wine turned into blood and the host turned into tissue. Now, again, in 750 AD, they didn't have microscopes and they didn't have sophisticated medical <laughs> ways to, uh, to uh, um, examine it, but it was examined in 1971 uh, by uh, Dr. Linoli in Italy. And it came to the conclusion that it was uh, type AB blood, AB positive blood, and uh, heart tissue. Well, just by coincidence, um, the blood on the Shroud of Turin is type AB blood, and the blood type on the four 21st century Eucharistic miracles are also type AB blood. And so we're going to go into that connection, and I'll, and, and I'll, I'll list those all. Uh, the first one is uh, was in in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina in 1996. There were actually several miracles, but the one that was studied was in 1996. And the reason I call it a 21st century Eucharistic miracles is because the studies didn't come out really, the final studies didn't come out till 2005. 
The next one was in 2006 on um, October 22nd, uh, 2006 in Tixla, Mexico, which is 10 days after Carlo Cudi's died in, uh, two, he died October uh, uh, 12th, uh, 2006 of leukemia at the age of 15. He's the one that's on his way to become the first millennial saint. Um, and he was very much interested in the Eucharist and Eucharistic miracles. And then even more coincidentally, on October 12th, 2008, there was the miracle in uh, Sokolka, Poland. Um, again, type AB blood. And on the same date that Carlo Cudi's, uh, blessed Carlo Cudi's died. And then the uh, final one, and God does have a sense of humor, is was on December 25th. <laughs> 2013 in a church that was named for uh he's, he's called the apostle of the north saint jack uh, i can't pronounce the polish pronunciation of it but he was uh he he saved the eucharist from being uh destroyed by the tartar the tartar invasion in the 1200s and so um they're all connected uh they all have heart tissue just like the lanciano miracle in 750 and what's fascinating, we'll get into all the details, is that it's always live. It's still living. It's still living heart tissue. So, you know, the real question is, what are the Eucharistic miracles? It's why, and why do they connect to the Bible and the Shroud of Turin, which we'll get into. So wait a minute, living heart tissue? What do you mean living heart tissue? As we know, 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. The good news is that 70% of weekly mass attending Catholics do believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. Uh, but unfortunately, the vast majority of Catholics aren't weekly mass attending. So, um, so the faithful that, you know, come every week do believe it's the ones that, you know, have, and again, it's poor catechesis for 60 years and, <laughs> and on. So, you know, even the priests and all that. So it's just, it's, you know, it's, that's why, that's why it's no coincidence that in this time of crisis that we're facing, that we're having this Eucharistic revival, uh, because that really is, you know, as, as, we'll, as we'll delve into, the uh, Eucharist is the medicine of immortality. Why are there 21st century Eucharistic miracles? Uh, is because God loves us so much <laughs> that he wanted us to have evidence of his fully human nature and fully divine nature. So if you think about it, the heart tissue and the blood, that's not divine, right? That's from Mary. But the fact that it's alive, that's from God, <laughs> right? So that's why it's live heart tissue. And that's why it's living, you know, is because God is basically shouting to us, <laughs> shouting, literally shouting to us that this stuff is real. Uh, and the other thing it does the other thing the Eucharistic miracles do is shows that um, the resurrection is real because again it's Mary's heart. God doesn't have he's you know he, does, he doesn't have a heart. He doesn't have a he doesn't have skin. You know as as we understand it and it's still a mystery. Obviously you know Jesus Christ he had fully human nature and fully divine and that's what's really showing up in in the, in the, uh, the Eucharistic miracles. How can you tell it's living? So just like in every miracle that the Catholic Church investigates, and all these are first, you know, approved by the local bishop, and then it goes on, they bring in scientists who are not Catholic, <laughs> who are skeptics, 
to valet, just like in Lourdes, you know, it's the, 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 the 70 miracles that have been approved by the church are from scientists that, you know, not Catholic. There's, there's no bias there. And in fact, uh, as we get into it with uh, ones in Poland, um, they faced severe persecution for uh, having this live tissue. The one in uh, Poland, Sokoka, Poland, the two, uh, the two scientists at the medical school there were accused of, you know, or the Catholic Church and, or, and these people are complicit with it, of killing a person and putting the live heart tissue as, in the sample on the host. So, I mean, Satan's not happy about it. So, because again, it, show, it shows that there really is a resurrection um, and that there is life after death. Um, that we just pass into another phase. So we have to we have to kind of back up and go back to the modern era. You know, we think we're so smart with science that you know we can explain everything. But remember, science can't explain the unseen, right? And and so as a physician, it was always curious to me: what is life? Well, life's not part of the material world. You know, we're we're in ensouled bodies, right? We're ensouled bodies. But the soul that is the animating part, and it's not part of the material world. And the reason that is, is because think about it. How do electrons spinning around a nucleus and a proton, you know, that's what atoms are made out of, that's what the material world is made out of. How does that generate thought? <laughs> how, how does E equal MC squared come from at electrons spinning around neutrons and protons? So we think with AI that, you know, that they're thinking, they're not thinking, they're just following a program. It's, you know, deductive reasoning. Yes, no. That's not what we are. We, we, have, we have minds that survive bodily death. And, and we'll talk about those in a second too, the near-death experiences. But we have minds that are, are not part of the material world. And again, the evidence of that is in the near-death experiences. So most people have understood about uh, what near-death experiences are, but I'll just explain it to you. There's thousands of these across the, the world, uh, validated again by doctors and psychologists. And everywhere I give this talk, I have someone come up and say, yeah, my dad, or you know, someone had a near-death experience. And, and they all have a couple of things in common. The two categories of people that are the most interesting are people blind from birth. So they have no neurons in their brain that have visual information and children. And with people blind from birth, they can see things. And I'll just tell you, this is one of just many, many, many stories. This one, this uh, blind from birth person is having some sort of procedure in a hospital and he goes into what we call clinical death. That you know, in the ERs, and people are we're pumping on their chest, their brain's not working, their heart's not working. Well, this guy floats out and sees people working on him, hears their conversation, relates it to him when he, they come back. But, but more importantly, passes through the walls of the hospital, the floors of the hospital, and floats outside the fourth story window. Uh, and again, this is a person who's never seen a window, never seen a wall, <laughs> never seen, <laughs> never seen a hospital, and sees a pair of red sneakers. Now, again, he's never seen their color red and never seen uh, what a sneaker looks like. And that's on the outside of the hospital wall on the fourth floor. And when he comes back and is resuscitated, comes back, he relates this to, to, to everyone. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're there. <laughs> and, and there's stories like this all over the world. How do you explain that? His brain's not working, right? Brain's not working. 
but he can see. So now he's, he has sight when he never had sight. He was born blind, not acquired blind. It's, uh, and um, he can see, can hear. And just like when Jesus passed through into the upper room, same thing. So that shows that the mind, which is the soul, yes, it's, it, it, we're in soul bodies. We have a brain, but the brain isn't the mind. Children are also fascinating in that they, they meet a dead relative. And they meet, uh, who, who's Aunt Maud? Again, these are children that again clinically dead. They're, they're, they're we're resuscitating and some of them come back. And, um, and, and they say, who's Aunt Maud? Well, she died, you know, 100 years ago. And what's even more fascinating about all these cases is they have one thing in common. They both have lost their fear of death. Every one of these people has had a near-death experience loses their fear of death because they know that there's something better than what's here. And we used to know that when all the Christians were being martyred in the first couple of centuries, they would sing on their way to martyrdom. During the uh, bubonic plague in the, in the uh, 400s in Rome, 90%, 90% of the population was dying from the plague. They didn't close down their churches. They still did Eucharistic processions because they knew that this is only temporary. We actually don't die. We just pass into another, we just pass into something else. You know, we go to heaven or hell. That's what's what happens. And so they understood that we lost that because we 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 understand we're so smart now. We understand that this stuff is real. So what science can't observe the uh, a, a supernatural, but it can observe the effects of a supernatural event. That's what the Shroud of Turin is. The Shroud of Turin is a, a supernatural event. It's, re, it's the recording of a supernatural event, the resurrection, passion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, um, and, then, and then these Eucharistic miracles are, are uh, demonstrating to us through science, because God knew we need help. You we, we have to see it. We have to see it under a microscope and all that. So the one in Sokolka, Poland, is one of my favorite. Is my favorite one because, on that in that miracle, the consecrated host, under electron microscopy, you can't tell where the heart tissue begins and the bread ends. And the one in Tixla, Mexico, they've done studies. Uh, Doctor, not Doctor Gomez, did these studies, extensive studies, and the bleeding out of the host was coming from the inside of the host. Type AB blood, it's live tissue. And then it's, how is it connected to the um, Bible? Well, in many ways, so that, you know, in the Shroud of Turin, all the, the scourge marks, the, the nails in the, in the, in the, in the, in the hands, because remember in, in, in first century Judea, they didn't have a word for hand, uh, for wrist. They so, and it was really at the junction of the hand or the wrist where the nails were driven through because if you don't uh if you if you put in the hand it won't it won't support the weight um and then in addition the shroud of turin has four fingers when you look at it and the reason it has four fingers is when you drive a nail through uh, that part of the wrist where the wrist junctures the, the hand it gets the median nerve and causes the thumb to curl over and it's a 3d it's a three-dimensional image uh, and we know that uh, because the VP8 analyzer, so in 1978, they did the Shroud of Turn Research Project, all these leading scientists, including people from the uh, Air Force Academy, and they had to invent a 3D image analyzer because this was right before 
this was you know after the uh, <clears throat> after the moon landing um they had to have they had to know the height of the moons because you know pictures do two dimensionals you know and but you don't want to if you're going to land the lunar lander you don't want to land on top of a mountain so they had to invent what's called the this vp8 analyzer and if you take a picture of you or me and put it under this analyzer it looks like a Picasso painting. Your nose is in one place, your ears are somewhere else, and your mouth is somewhere else. Well, you put a, you take a picture of the Shroud of Turin and um, and put it under this VP8 analyzer, and, and it's a 3D image. So it's the only 3D image uh, that exists. So uh, as I tell people, it's not that it's, it, yes, it could be a forgery, and we'll get into all the other evidence of the Shroud of Turin is the real thing. But it would take it would take super intelligent being that can travel through time. So yes, it could be you know super intelligent alien that technology that we don't have today and can throughout travel through time. It's just better just say it's probably God. <laughs> so, but but it couldn't be a medieval forgery because they can't they can't create a three D image on the upper six microns. <laughs> of a non-photographic material they you know they couldn't do that we can't do that today and it looks like it would take six to eight billion watts of laser light and energy over one forty billionth of a second otherwise of course it would vaporize for that to happen um and 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 he's turning into pure light energy just a quick note before we return if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. The other theory is that it's, it's low... Uh, low temperature nuclear degeneration, which may be the, the right way. But anyway, anyway, it's something we can't do today, whether it's pure light energy or not. But I, I like the pure light energy because it also explains, you know, remember on the transfiguration of Mount Tabor, remember his, his, his clothes shine like light? Well, that means that the light was coming from his body. Right. Well, that's the same thing with the Shroud of Turin, that the, the light that causes was coming, it was emanating from every point of his body. Doesn't, doesn't come from. And so it's a pretty, it's a perfect image. You know, every, like if you put a sheet over you or me, it, you know, it, it hits your nose, hits your chin, but on the shroud of Turin, every square inch of his skin is shown in the light is emanating from every point of his body. And his father Spitzer says, dead bodies don't tend to do that. So, 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 so science can't explain that. I think the thing to do right now is to explain why uh, the carbon 14 dating doesn't work. Everyone was so convinced in 1978 after all that they were all these scientists, Barry Schwartz, who was a Jewish guy, uh, who was the photographer, he was a photographer there. They did all these studies and we're going to, to some of, we can't, we don't have time to do all of them, but we're going to some of them. They were so convinced. They said, oh, we'll do carbon 14 dating. And there's just no question. It'll show that it's, you know, it's, uh, it's the burial cloth. It'll date back to the first century. Well, what they hadn't anticipated was they, they were gonna they were gonna sample at six different sites. What they didn't anticipate or is, is is one thing, and then there's another fact that they didn't really think enough about, and that is that the Shroud of Turin, if it really is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ, has been around for two thousand years and was handled and looked at for you know a, a lot of time, and we'll go through the history of that as well. 
but it was also involved in a fire of Ch in Chambray, Chambray, France in 1532. And that fire was so intense that it uh, melted the silver casket around it and um, silver melts at 1700 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so it was an intense fire. And, but, but again, it didn't destroy the image. That's why you see those kind of odd marks on the outside of the Shroud of Turin. That's from the fire of Chambray of 1532. So two things happened. Number one, they doused it with a lot of water. Now, if you take a lot of water and throw it on the Mona Lisa, that paint moves. That image never moved because it's not, it's not a paint, a dye or scorch or, or a mark, you know, or chemical, chemical burn. Uh, it's, it's, it's due to, it's due to six to eight billion watts of laser light energy <laughs> over 140 billionth of a second. So uh, the second thing is the poor Claire, a religious order repaired it. They have documents of that and they, um, and unfortunately, they only took a, the sample from one area that the area that had been burned, <laughs> it turns out, and it had cotton in it. Well, cotton didn't exist in the um, in the Middle East uh, until about the year 800, didn't exist in Europe until about the year 1000. And so they repaired it with with cotton fibers. And when you look at the the areas that weren't burned, there's no cotton in it. And the, the samples that were sent to uh, to the to, to the carbon fourteen labs, uh, it contained cotton in them, and they did a chemical analysis and proved it too. So so clearly they they took a sample from the the fire damaged area that had been repaired with cotton and dyes. So of course it dated back to the Middle Ages. So so that's so that's that explains that. The other pieces of evidence were again it, it, in medicine. It's always it's. Anything is possible, right? It's possible. Like I said, a, an alien from outer space did this, but the probability becomes slow, smaller and smaller as you go through all the things that have to be there. So, for example, the image on the Shroud of Turin is in a state of rigor mortis. Remember, there will be that God will be incorrupt, right? The body will not corrupt. Well, uh, rigor mortis only lasts about uh, 40, 40 to 48 hours. So it didn't corrupt. It, so it was in a state of rigor mortis. Uh, it's been examined by multiple doctors. One was the LA County Coroner, and they also conclude, yes, this is this is the image of a man crucified exactly as described in the Bible in John 19, just exactly like that, and it's in a state of rigor mortis. Uh, it, it's it's so closely uh, matches what's in the in the Bible that you can see. Remember, not a bone will, is broken. Well, he does have a broken nose, but it's broken where the cartilage is. Most of your most of your nose is cartilage. The tip of your nose and all that is cartilage. Just the very the very closest to your eyes is 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 as bone, and that wasn't broken. But remember, he was hit about the head, you know, many times in the face, and there's swelling in the eye, all that. the The other thing is these clever space aliens. They um, put in those days, you know, they were brutally brutally murdered. But then when you die, then they 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 put coins over the eyes, eyelids to uh, close the eyelids, you know, so it wouldn't look, wouldn't look so gruesome, right? Well, uh, those clever space aliens found some uh, Roman leptons minted in 29 AD by Pontius Pilate and put those on. And those are those images are deep to the <laughs> to the image on the Shroud of Turin because, again, the image of the Shroud, the reason it's the resurrection is, is that the Shroud is falling through Jesus as he's either mechanical from the mechanical nuclear degeneration or, or the pure light energy. And that's why it's recording 3D digital information. Again, we don't have that technology today. Max Fry, who is a, um, 
He was a botanist for uh, the European Union, and he uh, vacuumed the shroud. He also moonlit, I guess, as you know, as maintenance guy. And he 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 uh, he, uh, he vacuumed the shroud, and he identified the pollens. He's the one that would identify. Oh, this guy said he wasn't in Germany, and sure enough, he got a pollen of a plant that only grows in this part of Germany. And so, so he could identify all the the pollen he could find. He could there was pollen from Constantinople. There was pollen from. Uh, Chambray, pollen from Turin, pollen from all sorts of other areas, and uh, but he couldn't identify the uh, pollen that was in the crown of thorn areas um, around the scalp. So he went down to Jerusalem, and again, just those clever space aliens, just by coincidence, um, the uh, pollen is the. the, the a thorny plant that only grows around Jerusalem was just happened to be in that part of the shroud. There's just so much uh, overwhelming evidence. Um, the iconography uh, after 525, the uh, what we see as a crucifix matches what's on the shroud of Turin. There's a Justinian coin from 626 that shows there's a fold in the shroud of Turin below the chin, and that shows up in a 626 coin. <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And and again, even in modern days, so everyone knows about the Divine Mercy. You know, Saint Faustina, uh, like myself, wasn't always the brightest bulb, and so she um, she had never seen the shroud of Turin. Remember, she reported she'd seen Jesus, and Jesus had her do the Divine Mercy painting. And you remember, it was lost in 1935; was exposed, and then it was lost in uh, because the Germans, you know, the Nazis, and then the uh, Soviets came. And so, when they rediscovered the original Divine Mercy, um, and they did digital overlay, the Divine Mercy painting, the original overlays the shroud of Turin. So she really did see Jesus. And again, she'd never been to Europe. She'd never seen, she'd never seen images of it. And she spent a year modifying it. Turned out he was a Freemason, uh, modifying the artist that was doing the shroud of Turin. They did a movie about it. It's actually an excellent movie. And then the other piece of evidence, we have the face cloth of Oviedo. Remember in John 19, um, there is the, 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 the thing rolled up by the side. Well, again, just by coincidence, there's 120 blood stains on the face cloth of Oviedo, and they match the blood stains on the uh, Shroud of Turin. And the, the face cloth of Oviedo has been def definitively traced back to the year 600. Um, and so they both touched the same face. Remember in Luke 22:44, remember Jesus sweat blood? Well, Luke was a physician. And it's a, it's a real medical condition. It's a rare medical condition. It's called hematohydrosis. It just means sweating blood. And uh, we have modern day examples of it. There's a tragic story of a woman who was saying goodbye to her family and her husband and her kids and right in front of her horrific car crash and they were instantly killed. And, um, and she sweat blood. She fell to her knees and sweat blood. So that's again, showing the severe psychic stress, mental stress, and then physical stress that our Lord went through and our passion. And so that, and the reason, the reason it's mentioned in the Bible is because in all these 21st century Eucharistic miracles where there's heart tissue, there's living white blood cells in the wall of the ventricle. Okay. Living white blood cells in these Eucharistic miracles in the wall, of the ventricle, and that occurs when there's severe stress. That's why it's in the Bible. So everything is connected. <laughs> Again, it's just, it, 
we could go on and on and on. The blood stains, the the uh, reverse three on the temple, that's what happens when blood goes down your forehead. If you look at the pictures of the Shroud of Turn, it's a reverse three. So what do the Eucharistic miracles do? They It's always a host, as we said, it's always a consecrated host, falls to the ground. Usually if they notice it, they, they consume it right away. Every once in a while, they don't notice it. They put it in water and every once in a while, they don't dissolve. And they don't dissolve and it turns into a red spot and the red spot turns into tissue. They have it analyzed and... Um, and in every case, it comes back living heart tissue. In fact, the one in 1996, they sent it to a pathology lab, you know, both in Buenos Aires and all over, and, in, and one up to New York, Dr. Zugabi, and they didn't tell him where it came from. And he said, how did you get this piece of living heart tissue? And he told them, and they said to him, you know, it's from a, con you know, from a piece of bread. <laughs> and he said, I don't believe it. And then, of course, he became a believer and, and then helped in some of the other analysis. But again, across the world, that one in Sokoko, Poland, where they uh, on electron microscopy, they could see, you can't tell where the, um, the bread ends and the, and the heart tissue begin. They sent it to yet another medical school center and the same thing came back. It's like, yeah, we, we can't explain this. No, no one can do, no one has that technology today to do that. Um, and they're the ones that were accused of, you know, killing the Catholic church, killing somebody and, you know, faking all this. So yeah, it's, um, it's all connected. It is all connected type AB blood, heart tissue. It, it, and it all comports with what's in the Bible. And that's why it's in the Bible. One thing before we go on, where can people find out more information about this? They go to the Amagis Center is probably the best place. There's also great, there's a couple of great uh, shroud centers in uh, across the country. There's one in California. There's a couple other places, but Barry Schwartz, the Jewish. It's interesting, Barry Schwartz was part of the original 1978 uh, programs on uh, Shroud of Turin Research Project. And and he was Jewish and still remains Jews, Jewish, but he, he says, yes, there's no question that this is Jesus Christ. He just has not converted, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. He's not, but he, yeah, he says, there's no question. This is Jesus Christ from the first century. He's one of the people that said, yeah, let's go ahead and do the carbon 14 dating. And unfortunately it was uh, not done properly. It was from the wrong area. area. And um, the history of it just real briefly is that it was lost. Obviously we were, they were behind enemy lines, right? <laughs> they had to, they had to keep it all hidden. And, uh, and it was discovered in Odessa, which is now Turkey, but it was part of Greece. It was the closest thing uh, to uh, Jerusalem at that time. And they discovered it in the walls uh, and they called it at some point, the portrait. Uh, and, uh, and that was discovered in 525. They paraded it in front of armies and the armies would be defeated and all, all sorts of, and then, and then in, nine, in the 900s, Constantinople got so jealous, they took it uh, from there but it's a good thing because again, eventually that area became, you know, Muslim, um, and so it would have been destroyed at that point. So when it made it to uh, um, Constantinople, and then in 1204, which was the first first crusade, and the crusaders sacked um, Constantinople, the shroud disappeared, and that's how it ended up in France, most likely from the Knights Templar. And uh, that's where uh, Chambray was fighting the plague and he wanted to see it there. And that's how it ended up in Turin. And at that point, it was part of the Savoy family, which is actually part of France. And now it's part of Italy. Just tell us sort of in conclusion, you're a medical doctor. You, I mean, obviously saying this, you put your own reputation at stake, but you've seen the evidence of it so that there is a 
for you, very scientific evidence that can't be really refuted by anyone. Everyone's a lot of tried. But tell us, what has this knowledge, seeing this done for you at a spiritual level? I was concerned about what was going on with our youth. I could see the increase in uh, suicides in our youth starting, you know, really in the early 2000s, suicides and, and all that. And my dad had committed suicide, so I was um, concerned about why are we seeing increased suicides? Because that's why I went into medicine is to help, you know, help our youth. And um, and uh, and so one day I, you know, I was, you know, it was around 2010 or so. I was, you know, I was praying to God, saying, "You got to fix this," because an ER doctor, it's too late. You know, by the time I see them, you know, they they've tried. You know, fortunately, most of them don't. But but the sad thing is, it was a huge increase in young children. You know, eight year olds, seven year olds, eleven year olds. We never saw that before. There was always teenagers, but never never younger than that. And and frankly, what's happened now with COVID is it's gone up tremendously with COVID too. So it's just so sad what's going on with our youth right now. I was searching for answers and I, you know, I finally said, you know, you got to do this. It's too late for me. I, I you know, I, I can't get in front of this. We got to get in front of this. And so, um, and that's how God works. You know, guess what? Here we have this Eucharistic revival. I mean, it truly is the medicine of immortality. Cause when you think about it, these Eucharistic miracles show, as we said, that the fact that it's living tissue means God's in charge of life, right? <laughs> and he, it says so in Matthew, right? You know, not a sparrow falls, you know, it's, there's hints throughout the Bible that he's really in charge of life, that life is not part of the material. It's not, you know, the material, God created the material world and the immaterial world. And, and, um, and we're in sold bodies and, you know, the near death experiences, you know, again, doctors were pretty good at pattern recognition. I could see that, you know, there is a, there, there's a supernatural component that's not not from Adam, not from electrons spinning around. That's what made it for me. And then, and then with all the crises going on, I realized the real thing we have to do is, you know, we're on earth for a purpose. And our purpose is to get to heaven. God loves us. He wants us to get to heaven. And he's doing everything possible to get us there. But he gives us free will. So we can, we can claim we're God, just like, you know, our ancestors, you know, like Adam and Eve did, or we can say, you know what, you're God and I didn't create myself. And, you know, and I, and I, I know you love me and, um, and you want me there. And so that's what's, so that's why I go around. And what's tragic to me is that everywhere I go, no one has heard this about the, just like, you know, we're having problems in truth in a lot of areas in our world. Uh, it's also no one, no one knows this stuff. And I'm talking priests and, you know, they know some parts of it. Uh, we just, we're not telling people the truth anymore. We've we got to start doing that. I mean, again, we understood that first few centuries, we've lost it. What we've been doing the last 50, 60 years ain't working. And just like Einstein says, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Whatever we've been doing the last few years in working, we got to do something different. And so we got to, we need to start proclaiming the truth with love, you know, and let people know, hey, this is your temporary home. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what everyone has equal dignity in God's eyes. This all this division and hatred and all that. It's just, it's just God's the solution. And so that's really, I think that's why we're in this era right now is, you know, we are, we're in this time for a reason. God doesn't need us, but he wants us to participate in, in the return of return of, of Christendom to, to the world. It was, you know, God's gift to the world. You know, 
child murder stopped when Christianity was established. And now we're back to child murdering. Dr. Scott French, thank you so much for being with us on the program. And God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.